Hey everyone, thanks for downloading another episode of In Harmony with Piedmont Opera. We've got some great episodes in our archives if you want to check those out after you're done listening to this one. A couple of the stars of the upcoming performance of The Marriage of Figaro, which is coming up in late March. Tickets are available and you can listen to two of the performers, some two of the stars of the show, and get some great stories from them. Today's episode, we're going to be visiting with a, a partner of the Piedmont Opera. It is uh, Open Door Ministries of High Point, and we have two guests with us today. Actually, three. Three. We have a special cameo coming from, from Connie, <laughs> the, uh, the uh, executive director here at the uh, Piedmont Opera. Uh, but uh, from the Open Door Ministries, we have... Ryan Ross, he is the executive director, and we have Ivan Huffman, who is the director of advancement. Uh, before we get into some questions for both Ivan and Ryan, I'm going to introduce Connie first because I feel like she could set the table best of all to tell us about this partnership and what it means for Piedmont Opera. So, Connie, the floor is yours. Great to have you on again. Thank you so much. Always my pleasure to be with you. Uh, we are so excited to be partnering with Open Door Ministry in High Point. Uh, they came highly recommended to us um, by Scott McLeod, who you will see uh, on the stage performing uh, the role of Bartolo in the upcoming production of Marriage of Figaro. Scott is on the music staff at High Point University and is a longtime friend of Piedmont Opera. Uh, after he made the recommendation, Meredith uh, checked these guys out, and they seemed to be just a fantastic fit for us, and gave them a call and asked if they'd like to partner, and a, a new friendship was born. So what can you tell us about the, the tenets of the partnership? Uh, so we have a lot of history of partnering um, with folks in our community um, and are very proud of that history. Um, the way this particular partnership will work, because our marketing director, Meredith Apponitis, is quite the genius. Um, she, Marriage of Figaro, there's a marriage happening, spoiler alert, right? Um, so Mer Meredith has registered our happy couple on a, the wedding registry site, The Knot. Um, that is great. And got a wish list from our friends here at Open Door on what their needs might be and registered with those needs uh, on the wedding registry. So we have a history, uh, again, of being successful at things like this, and we are hoping that we will be able to provide some much-needed things for our new friends at Open Door. So that, that is really clever. Let me get this, let me get this straight. The, the registry for the happy couple, <laughs> happy Su couple. Susanna and Figaro. Yes. Um, they're registered on the knot with a wedding registry, but the gifts for the registry are then donated to Open Door Ministries. That that, is do correct. I have that right? That is correct. That's really clever. I, I wish I could claim it was mine, but it's, it's all Meredith. <laughs> Um, and then the, the performance itself, because the, the Stevens Center is, is under renovation, will be taking place in High Point, correct? That's correct. We are, we're really excited to be at High Point Theater to expand our footprint into the community. We are the Piedmont Opera. This gives us a great opportunity to do that. High Point Theater is very excited about having us and bringing professional opera to the community. Um, 
and and in so in doing so in in coming to that community and expanding our footprint we want to be a true partner and a true member of the community and hence we people are very good to us we were talking before the podcast we have patrons who are incredibly generous and very good to our organization and we want to give back to the to the greater community all right, I'll, I'll turn it over now to, to Ryan and Ivan to, to follow up and, and give your perspective on the part. Thank you, Connie. You are so welcome. <laughs> uh, so Ryan and, and Ivan, what would you like to add to, to what Connie just said about this, the, the origins of this partnership? This is an excellent opportunity for Open Door. Uh, we were very excited when they reached out to us uh, because it, it gives us a new base of people that, that might not know about open door and the work that we do in the community. Uh, we are, uh, one of the largest homeless shelters and, uh, soup kitchens, food pantries in, in the Piedmont triad. So it's just very exciting for us to have an opportunity to kind of expand, to let people know the work that we do and the impact that we make on the community. I think having a partnership with the Piedmont Opera, it also shows us in the community that in order for us to work to solve or end homelessness and hunger and poverty in our area, it takes the entire village. It takes the entire community. So it's not just one organization. There are numerous organizations like Open Door. There's numerous operas like Piedmont Opera, but a joint effort between the two of us is just another way that we can go about our efforts to end homelessness through our mission and, and through the ways that we have already established. So that last voice that you heard was Ivan, and then before that it was Ryan, just so you can uh, help to identify who's speaking as we continue on with this conversation. Uh, let me ask uh, the, the two of you about what are the things that are on this? I, I love this idea of this wedding registry as a part of the, of the show. What are the things that are on this registry that are going to be most beneficial for, for your organization? So there is quite a lot on this registry and a lot of different things. It's not just a specific item. Uh, we operate six different programs, 24-7, 365, uh, and those programs require stuff, and that's just the way it is. It's stuff that helps us to help those in need. Um, that's food staples. Uh, we have a very large food pantry and soup kitchen uh, that serve uh, – large amounts of food to the public. We do about 12,000 meals a month through our soup kitchen. Uh, and people donate meats, they donate pasta, they donate rice, but salt, pepper, garlic, uh, cumin, all the seasonings that it takes to make food taste good, that stuff's never donated. Um, so having items like that on our list allows us to keep our kitchen well stocked. Pots and pans are on there, utensils, uh, bedding, uh, hand sanitizer, and toiletries for those in our shelter. We house uh, around 75 people every night between our two to, uh, two facilities. Uh, so having items like that allow people to have just wake up and, and feel clean in the morning when they when they wake up in our shelter, uh, as well as office equipment. In order for us to operate and us to make sure that we're providing for the community, uh, we have to have computers and printers and paper and pens. That stuff's on there too. So no matter what you are able to purchase for Open Door Ministries, it's all going to help the greater cause. So what can you tell us? Uh, we explained the partnership a little bit, but maybe even we take it a, a couple steps uh, back further. What can you tell us about the history, the, the origins of, of Open Door Ministries itself, and, and, and maybe any more that you'd like to elaborate in terms of its mission? Uh, Open Door was founded in 1990. Uh, so we're on Centennial Street in, um, in High Point. And it started out as a a shelter, and the the goal I, I saw the original drawings of of the building, and the original goal was to house twelve to fifteen people and feed fifty meals a day, and it has just grown over time exponentially. There's been programs added. Everything revolves around 
housing and hunger. Uh, we do have emergency financial assistance to help people that if they get behind on their bills because we don't want people that to ever enter homelessness. So uh, like Ivan said, we we made it through COVID. Uh, I've been at Open Door for three years. And so I came right in the middle of COVID, which was just a great time to show up. Uh, so there was a lot of challenges going through that process and, and some of our, our numbers, you know, we were only allowed to be at half capacity with our, our shelter and things like that. So now we're, we're back up for the first time, uh, the last quarter of last year. And, and now we're back up to hundred percent capacity in the shelter. So we do shelter 75 people a night in our cold weather, which, uh, open door is a 30 day shelter. So people can come. They check in and we give them somewhere to stay for 30 days to try to help them get back on their feet. We offer case management. We help them write resumes, find jobs, find apartments, whatever they need to get out of a crisis to take that next step. Um, and then with, through our food and everything, we, we try to feed as many people as possible. And in the last, uh, this winter, we, last winter we were, we had like four to six people in our cold weather shelter. Now we're averaging 19 a night in cold weather. So on top of the 75 we're sheltering, we're averaging almost 20 a night additional that's just there on cold nights. So, you know, we're really making an impact on the community. We're really seeing the need increase. We have a waiting list of about 50 names of people trying to get into our shelter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's tough. The economy's tough right now. Uh, and like Ivan said, the first quarter of last year, we were averaging about 4,000 meals a month. Now we're averaging over 12,000 meals a month. Wow. So we've we've tripled in our service and in doing that, that's when, you know, things really work out. And it's like when the Piedmont opera reached out, you know, right now we're in one of those times where we need a lot more things than we've needed for the past three to five years, especially since COVID cause we just haven't had those numbers. But now that, you know, we, we do, we really need uh, support from the community more than ever to, to help these uh, individuals get off the street and get the help they need to to get back into society. Why did this partnership make so much sense? I mean, the idea is we've, we've talked about already, but you said Piedmont Opera approached. Um, but when you started talking about it and learning about what this could be, why did the partnership make so much sense? So at Open Door, I've been there almost a year now, and, and I work with a lot of our donors, and I talk with a lot of our community partners and sponsors, uh, and all of them say the same thing. They are helping as much as they can, uh, and that is, that's the truth. I mean, everybody that can help is helping to the, the best of their ability, so it takes even more people to help fight this mission. The more people we serve, the more it costs. Uh, the more it costs, the more staff we have to have. So there's a lot of factors that play into this. So we at Open Door, we take every opportunity to tell our mission and to speak about what we do and, and we jump at it. Me and Ryan, we're, we're sitting here today because it's something that we love to do. We love talking about what it is that the community needs. So Piedmont Opera reaching out to us, we saw it as a way to get into the Winston-Salem uh, community. Piedmont Opera is uh, is got their uh, their grounding here in Winston-Salem. We're in High Point. Uh, just a short 20-minute drive away um, is, is a major homelessness issue in High Point. Uh, so working with the Piedmont Opera, we know that we can bring people to awareness of what it is that we have at Open Door and what we need uh, from the community. So Piedmont Opera has blessed us, and we're hoping that those that have helped Piedmont Opera grow can help Open Door grow. 
Yeah, you mentioned the, the waiting list and how many people you're serving, but you, you made mention of something that I think would be, uh, if, if there's any other background or data that, that could support this, but you described it in high point as there's a significant homeless population there. What more can you say about that? So uh, of course, so they do a point in time study is what happens every year uh, to register the, or to count how many people are homeless. Uh, and every year that number has grown. Uh, last year in Guilford County alone was 498 people uh, that were seen as homeless. Um, and that's just at a certain point in time. Um, that's a Tuesday night in January that they do that count. That's not including every other day of the year that somebody might be homeless or at that moment was in a shelter. Uh, that number does not include those that are in shelters. Um, including Greensboro Urban Ministries, Open Door Ministries, West End Ministries, three major shelters in the area. Uh, that point in time calculation doesn't count that. So uh, I think we could estimate there's roughly around 1,000 people in High Point that are homeless, uh, and it is our goal uh, to try to help them or in the High Point area and help them out of homelessness. But also, as Ryan mentioned, prevent it. Uh, a lot of people come to us for rent and utilities assistance uh, because they're one missed paycheck or one missed rent payment away from being homeless. So our goal is to not only alleviate the pain of homelessness, but prevent it as well. The the need is just is growing. And, and, you know, just because we're in High Point, a lot of our, our people that come and get our services are from the Piedmont Triad. I mean, they come from, from everywhere. So it just just because of location, we're in High Point, but that is not just our service area. So that's that's another thing that we, you know, just bringing awareness and, and letting people know what we do um through the opera but then also you know letting people know that we do provide the services there so if they know of anybody that needs the services that we can provide they can send them to us how how far away i mean is it just within the triad or do you get people from all over the state it it depends um most are from the high point in piedmont triad area um but we do get people that are are very transient if they they moved to the area, they moved to North Carolina, and then, you know, they moved here for a job and the job fell through. Mm-hmm. Uh, they moved here for a relationship. The relationship didn't work out. They found themselves homeless. And so we do have uh, people from out of state. We have people that uh, from obviously different communities around us uh, just geographically. But, you know, the majority is the Piedmont Triad. Yeah. Okay. Um, you mentioned Ryan, how you started what right in the thick of the pandemic, June right? the fifteenth of twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah. So yes, uh, three months into it, basically. Yep. Um, what can you tell us about just how challenging that was in the moment, and how you tried to um, help people through a very difficult time for everybody, when probably more and more people were becoming unhoused. And and then how you have um, how you were able to during such a, t- a tough time get to the point where now you are being able to support so many more people. Um, what can you say about just that journey? Uh, it was it was very interesting time to start, um, as you can imagine. Uh, when I got there, uh, we were COVID had already started and and everything was locked down. But so we had to, at, at one point we had bunk beds and at maximum capacity, then we had 80, could have 80 people, but we had to take the bunk beds down. And I started on June the 15th and on June the 22nd, we had the first outbreak in a communal living facility in the state. So you were hearing about it through 
you know, New York, Washington, you know, in, in nursing homes and things like that. We were the first that, that we heard of that was a communal living facility. Fortunately, uh, we had eight people that, that got it, but fortunately, uh, none of them were very sick. Uh, but at that point, then we have to take even more drastic measures. Yeah. So after seven days, uh, we get to kind of write the playbook on what to do about that. And so we, uh, we had to move even more beds out. And to, we had to have everybody six feet apart. Uh, we changed the bed arrangement so it was because we have a, it's a large dorm facility and we have a veterans facility too. I don't think we've mentioned that we have a separate veterans facility, but we had to move the beds so that people would be um, like feet to feet, so they weren't like in each other's face. Mm. Um, and and we put plexiglass between all the beds, moved all the beds six feet apart. Wow. Uh, we had put hand sanitizer stations. We had, uh, we were fortunate enough. We got some grants to, uh, do like sinks and, um, dryers and things like that, that, that were non-touch. Uh, we did some light switches that were non-touch. So we did everything that we could to prevent it. And, uh, we went for, after those first eight, we went 18 months and did not have a single case of COVID in the facility. Wow. Um, which, I think speaks to our staff, um, their dedication to keeping people healthy. And, and we tried to make sure our, our guys understood that they needed to, you know, take precautions as well. And, and we, we really tried to educate people as much as we could on that. So it was a challenging time, but we, we got through it. And then we've just kind of grown back, uh, just, uh, for about a, you know, a year and a half, two years, we just stayed like that. And then we've just kind of, you know, been replacing, you know, moving the beds a little closer together, you know, taking the plexiglass down just so we can get more guys back in there. And, uh, in the last, last year, I guess, since Ivan's been there, we've had just a lot of progress with getting back to full capacity and, and being able to serve. And that's where I think, you know, the, the economy is not really bode well for a lot of people. So that's where we're seeing a lot of our meals come from. But as far as the shelter, I think it's just being accessible because it's not like those people went away. They were just, they just had, they weren't able to come in. So. Yeah. You, you referenced that your staff and gave a nod to them and how hard they worked and, and smartly that you worked to, to be able to stay open and keep people in the, in the facility. How much of your staff is, is employed versus how much do you rely on volunteers? Right now we have 18 full-time staff and we've got 14 part-time staff. We've got 32, 32 on payroll. Okay. And, uh, a lot of people say, well, you know, why do you need that many people? Well, when you're open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, um, you know, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, Thanksgiving, you know, we, we are staffed. Yeah. This, um, this type of work doesn't take holidays. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, we do have a very dedicated staff. They, they work really hard. We've had, uh, obviously just due to being a nonprofit, we're not able to pay a significant amount. So a lot of our, we do have some staff turnover, but they, the people we get are very, very good as far as volunteers. Um, we have a, a strong faith-based community that, that volunteers, but we can always use more volunteers for, mm. for every aspect as far as from uh, serving food, helping prepare meals, help passing out food at the food pantry, all the way to we've had church groups come and help us repaint the building and you know do, do lawn maintenance. So 
volunteers are essential uh, to an organization like us. So we're always, if you ever look on our Facebook and Instagrams and website, you'll always see yeah, Ivan's on there being like, you know, encouraging volunteers to sign up. Uh, and, and anyone listening to this, you know, we, we welcome anyone. Um, and we're, we've started doing something this year. We're doing like tours of our, our building just to show people what we actually do and mm-hmm. the impact that they would make. And I think that, you know, you, when you see homeless on the, on the streets, there's the perception that, you know, oh, they're out there, they made bad decisions or whatever. But once you get in and you start seeing the guys and you start seeing some of the challenges that they've dealt with and where their life is and, and how you can actually help that. And it's not always their decision that put them there. It is life circumstances that put them there. Um, you know, some people just, they didn't have a shot. They, they, just yeah. bad things happen. So when people get a chance to see that, they really get to understand that they are making a difference when they come and volunteer and they help and they contribute. I, I would love to ask both of you something to, that you touched on there for a moment, because I, 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 it is my opinion that there is, there is a judgment made when you see someone that might be just living on the street, right? That you you might assume that, well, that person just isn't trying hard enough to, to find a job or, or scrape together some money. But you you made mention, Ryan, of something that, you know, if you meet the people that are in our facility, in our shelter, and that we support, you'll realize that it's not, bec- it, the, there's not many situations that where people are, it's because it's a lack of effort right? It's a lack of just going and finding something. What can, without naming any names, but maybe you have some examples of circumstances that are beyond someone's control that might put them in, in this spot. Uh, that is an excellent point. And thank you for, for talking about that because I was, I was probably one of the main people in society that I would see homeless people. And I'm like, well, go get a job. You right. Know, well, you, you just made bad decisions. I mean, and, and you know, then I, I get into that line of work. Uh, I was, I was in city government before I was a city manager for 16 years. So, you know, I, I'd seen the homeless side from kind of the government municipality side, but never from, you know, the side that I'm at now. And once I got to, to start talking to guys, meeting them, hearing their stories, it was amazing that, Oh, it's not that everybody's an alcoholic or a drug addict and you just made bad decisions. You know, I, I talked to this, uh, and, and some things are just, again, it's just life. And I've talked to people that they, they move for a job. Uh, I talked to one guy, he moved down here from New Jersey for a job. And, you know, it was, it was a, he didn't have a great job in, in New Jersey, so he thought he was going to do better down here. He came down here, COVID started lost the job because he wasn't an essential worker. And he's like, you know, I, I'm just, now I need help. Uh, one story, uh, we had a guy and he was super nice guy and, uh, he had a landscaping business and it was just, just him though. I mean, he, he did it on his own, but he's like, you know, I'm, I made enough. I was getting by and very reputable, good work, hardworking guy. And, uh, he had his, his lawnmowers and all his equipment on his trailer and wrecked his truck. And it wrecked and it totaled all of his equipment. Well, insurance didn't pay enough to supplement everything back. He missed like three paychecks. He's homeless because he couldn't pay the rent. Yeah. So he came to us and he was like, Hey, if you'll just help me find a job, he's like, cause you know, obviously I can't get back into landscaping. 
and you know, and, and fortunately he, he was a veteran and, um, Home Depot. We we helped him get a job. Home Depot is very supportive of veterans. We helped him get a job, and you know he wasn't there, but two or three weeks we helped him find a new apartment, and and so it's those stories that you go, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that you know everybody there is is you know an angel and it just didn't pan out for them. There are some that you know they have made bad decisions, but there is a large portion that it's just things have happened in their life that it just didn't work out the way. You know, and they didn't have a support system that a lot of us take for granted. Uh, you know, I've, I've never had to really even think about being homeless because I have a supportive family. I had good friends. Uh, you know, I've never, you know, moved to a completely different state where I knew no one for a job that, you know, just fell through. And then what do you do? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it gave me a perspective that is entirely different than what I went in with three years ago. And I think that that's why I try to encourage people, you know, come and see what we do, see these guys and don't see them as the people that's standing on the corner, get to know their story. Uh, we, we had a guy just speak at, uh, a, a, uh, one of our events, one of our fundraisers and 24 years old. And, and I really didn't know his story when he, he came to speak. We told him, you know, speak for three to five minutes and just kind of give people a, an outline, but he seemed like a nice kid. He gets up and starts talking, and he said 24 years old and had not slept on a mattress in 12 years. Since he was 12, he had not slept on a mattress. I mean, he just never had a shot. Wow. So yeah. it wasn't – he's like, when I got to open doors, the first time I've had hope. Mm. And that's what we're there for is to, to show people that, you know, tomorrow will be better. We're, we're going to help you make sure tomorrow is better. And so – you know, it, it is those kind of situations that people need to understand. That's yeah, that's a great answer. That's a great answer to that question, uh, Ivan. What 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 about your experience with 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 this? So it's very similar to Ryan. I, I'm I see people on the corner of the street, just like everybody else. Who are like, I, if I roll down my window to give them five bucks, they're going to take everything I have. Is a perception a lot of people have, and I had that too. Uh, but coming to Open Door, I met people. I mean, in my role, I work more with the community and, and with partnerships and businesses than I do the people inside. And probably me and Ryan are the two employees there that really don't work right next to the people that we are helping serve and, and provide for because uh, our jobs are very outside in the community. But when you speak to somebody and you try to promote their story uh, in marketing and, and what I do and try to promote their story, you have to understand that there's a stigma in our society. Um, 25% of our residents are veterans. Uh, and I would say a majority of them, if not all, have uh, some version of mental health or PTSD. Um, having a twin brother with severe mental health issues, it kind of opened my eyes that without, to Ryan's point, a supportive system, he'd be right there where everybody else is in this homeless situation without the mental health resources that are available uh, to a supportive family that we can help him. To a lot of these individuals, they don't have that system, and we are their next shot to be able to get that help that they need. Uh, so mental health, working with those providers, the VA, one of our partners with our Arthur Cassell House and Housing Veterans, it gives them a shot that they might not have had to begin with. Yeah. So you, you, you touched on it there for a moment, but is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience in terms of the way that you support veterans in, in addition? Because you mentioned that you have a wing specifically or an area specifically dedicated to, to veterans. What other ways can, do you support them? Yeah. Uh, we work closely with the VA. And uh, so we have Arthur Cassell Transitional Housing, which is, is veterans. And that's a long-term um, housing plan that they can come and stay. Um, 
for up to two years if need be. But in that time, they work through any mental health crisis they have. They work with counselors. Uh, obviously, they we try to help them find employment. And then by the time they, they get and some some only stay you know a month or two, but they can stay up to two years. But by the time they leave, we want them to be able to go into stable housing and, and be able to function and thrive and and know where the resources are that they can reach out to through the VA. And and if something happens, they can always come back to us. So at Arthur Cassell, we have 15 beds. Um, and then at Open Door, we have a special unit that, that has 10 beds for, for veterans there. So we have to- 25 total veterans right now. Yeah, and like Ryan said, that is actually a separate facility. Uh, it's about a mile and a half from our, our main facility on Centennial. Arthur Cassell House is very independent in how it's run. Uh, they work directly with the VA, but our support system with them, we've actually got a veterans event coming up in the spring. Our support for them from the community is that, that if we need something for veterans, it happens. And, and people love to support veterans. It's our job to make sure that those that served our country are being served when they come home. Uh, we hear the stories of people not getting uh, assistance when they're having an issue overseas when they're fighting, and a lot of them do end up homeless because especially that mental health. So mental health is a big uh, a big proponent of what we do, uh, but not only just for veterans, but for all of our uh, residents. We have case managers that work uh, Monday through Friday to help those, and then our emergency case managers, anytime there's an emergency. Ryan's even been there, called in late at night to come help somebody in crisis. So it takes the entire staff, as Ryan said, to do what we do. Um, and there's a lot of overlapping of job roles because at the very moment you might be the only person that that person has to turn to at that time. I, I would imagine Ivan as, as in your role with advancement, a, a lot of what you do is you're, you're trying to raise funds. You're trying mm-hmm. to bring in supplies. And, and the genesis of this conversation was the partnership with Piedmont opera to help to bring supplies. Um, but, how much of what you do also revolves around the recruitment of volunteers? A lot. We've actually got a volunteer coordinator uh, that that helps with that coordination of volunteers. Uh, Reich's Ryan said we serve three meals a day, Monday through Friday, and then twice, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, every dinner that we provide in the last few months has been provided by a volunteer group. Mm. Um, so volunteers are really instrumental in helping with the uh, soup kitchen, um, but uh, also it's working with the local churches. Um, we probably have around 60 to 70 churches right now um, that help us in some way, shape, or form, whether that's financially or with volunteer groups, um, whether it's a mission that uh, they come and help out with a certain project like painting. Um, we had a church group come and help clean our floors uh, a couple couple months ago. Um, so it's a lot of basis of volunteers because people will give their time a lot quicker than they'll give their money, and that's exactly how we use that help. Yeah. For each of you, what brought you into this line of work? Why why was this your calling? Uh, for me, uh, like I said before, I was in city government for for sixteen years, and I was just getting pretty burned out on on the whole government side and my my uh ma- i've done two master's degree my first master's degree was uh psychology and sociology with a concentration in counseling and then i just kind of got into the the city government thing and so i was just looking for a different career so about 2017 i started just exploring to see what was out there see if there was something different and uh, I had a friend that he he was a retired city manager, but he had worked with Open Door and knew them well. And he said that they're uh, executive director for 30 years. Uh, so it is a very stable organization. The same guy was there for 30 years. 
And so he was retiring and uh, he had announced his retirement for 2020. And he said, I think you would be a great, great fit for that because you, you, you want to help people. You've got the government's um, knowledge of just working with through governments and grant writing. And um, so he was like, I think you'd be a great fit. So I started looking into Open Door and uh, just got to know more about it, saw their mission. And then when uh, I, I applied, met with some board members and just getting to know the board members and see their passion and see how they felt about the organization I thought, you know, maybe this would be a good a good fit for me. And then it, it really has been because you, you feel like it's making a difference in the community. You're helping people. So it's not all about uh, it's not all about money. It's all, you know, a lot of the corporate jobs are it. You're actually making a difference in the community. And that's that what that's what's brought me there now. And uh, and I've, I've enjoyed it. It's it's stressful. It's not the easiest job on earth, but it it is. Uh, it's an understatement, isn't it? <laughs> um, but it is. Uh, um, but it is rewarding. It is rewarding. So, uh, for me, being somebody that's recently out of college, I'm, I'm still working on my master's in leadership. Uh, I've my bachelor's was in business law, and and another bachelor's in marketing. I knew that I wanted to do something that uh, was ethical, uh, had integrity behind it, but also had that marketing, which uh, is what my passion is. Uh, for profit always just seemed a little odd to me to to just only my job be based solely on a profit number. Mm. I, I wanted to market for something that was bigger than I was. Um, sure, my dream job working for Coca Cola was always there, uh, but I wanted something that actually brought somebody a smile on their face. Uh, and I also wanted that security of knowing that my job's always going to be there to helping other people uh, with the skills that I've that I've got. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, and, and I spoke about my twin brother, I knew once I spoke with Ryan about the position, that that was my way of showing that although I couldn't fix his issues and what his needs are. And I can't fix those that we serve, but I can do my part in making sure that they've got a better tomorrow. Uh, and that's what drew, drew me to open door. And it's what's kept me here. Yeah. Well, those are, those are two uh, great stories, great reasons. And you both highlighted just how rewarding that, that the work can be. Um, what are some of the, we've touched on them already. Stigma volunteers, um, awareness, um, perception. What are those, some of the thing, the challenges and obstacles that you see facing what each of you do, um, in the, in the sh short term or the long term? Right now it's the cost of everything is increasing exponentially. We, uh, we have about a $2 million budget per year. Uh, and what got you $2 million in 2020, it does not go that far now. And so we are, we have to, we're cutting back everywhere we can cut back. And so financially, you know, is, is one of our big things. So we're having to do a lot of fundraising, a lot of grant writing, a lot of appeals to, for donations. Um, because a lot of our donors, you know, they're what if, and I, and we're seeing it like I, we've got one donor and he donated a hundred dollars a month and he has for many, many years. And now he's donating $50 a month. And he said, because I just don't have as much. He's retired. He's like, I just don't have expendable income like I did. And he's mm -hmm. like, but I still want to give, mm -hmm. but I'm just not giving as much. And we're seeing that across the board. Yeah. So that that right now is our biggest individual challenge is just like, how can we get more um, just financial support? Because, like, again, the community is fantastic. Um, 
you know, companies uh, providing volunteers, churches providing volunteers. Uh, it's just a matter now of getting more more financial support. I think right now uh, there's really two things that come with, with my job. It's The first of all is there are so many nonprofits. If I'm not mistaken, I look, there's 84 registered nonprofits in the city of High Point. Um, and wow. that we're all pulling the same donors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to tell you that one nonprofit is more important than the other. Uh, I think that we all serve our roles and we all serve a purpose. Um, but it's our job and it's my job at Open Door to make sure that the, our goal as an organization, our mission is being uh, put out into the community. And like Ryan said, ad spend on Facebook is not what it used to get you. Uh, There's so much more um, energy out there on social media. Your posts, this podcast, it might pop up on uh, wherever this is being uh, published at for five minutes on a feed, but then you go to search for it again and it's being covered by so many other things. There's such a large environment of information that every time we try to share our story and the story of those that we serve, it you've got to create it just as quick as it's getting absorbed. Um, so for us, it's really, um, it's a constant cycle of trying to get uh, our mission out there and to the, to the population. And then second, uh, like Ryan mentioned, it's, it's the cost of everything. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got donors that are like, well, we're going to provide, a refrigerator. Well, that refrigerator might work for two years. The third year, they're like, well, we've already donated a refrigerator. We can't do another one. Um, it takes a lot of uh, effort to get as much items in there as we have. Um, and it's a continuous cycle. Like I mentioned, we've got um, our operating costs. It's $110,000, $120,000 a month just to operate. Um, and our donors, uh, they're they're pushed thin, uh, and that's in everything. So the Amazon wish list that Meredith uh, started for us here at Piedmont Opera, it's going to be great because people love to see that they're actually donating something that is going to be of use. Um, so that is a really great way for us to bring in those items that we might not have gotten uh, without this. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's close with this. Normally, if, if we have guests here in person, uh, we like to ask them some of the things they enjoy doing in Winston-Salem, but let's give, let's give High Point some love, right? We don't talk a lot about the, the gems of High Point on this podcast, but they are part of the triad, and this is the Piedmont Opera. And so uh, for each of you, what are some of the local gems that you enjoy when you have some of your very, very little free time. <laughs> what are some of the things that you enjoy locally in High Point? Yeah, there's some really nice things uh, right around uh, High Point. They've got uh, the Paddle South Brewing. They've got Brown Truck Brewing, which is, is nice little hangouts. Uh, for you can people see what to he go. does. Yeah, <laughs> and that, that's how I spend my. Now, and, and then like you know Congdon Yard, the the Congdon family of uh, they've you know there's new restaurants in there uh, all around the Rocker Stadium. Uh, stocking grain. So there's lots of new little restaurants popping up. Um, and so they I know they're doing a social district there. The city council's really working on that. So it's, it's an, it's a nice little area and it, it is growing and it's, it's, there's plenty to do if, uh, if you just get there and, and kind of get involved. Uh, mine was high points actually being someone that's not from high point, never worked in high point before, um, the furniture market. I never realized how impressive furniture was the high point. People always told me they had the world's largest chest of drawers. And I thought somebody was crazy when they told me that. Uh, but when you take a minute <laughs> to look into high points history and you start to go around some of the historic landmarks in high point, uh, the depot and Centennial station, and then also, uh, a new facility, American home furnishings hall of fame, um, that building and, and the amount of history that it can 
contains. Um, it, it'll blow your mind. Um, so if you've ever got a minute to just stop in High Point um, and, and see what historic uh, history that High Point has, it's it's quite impressive. Well, there, there's a few ideas for our listening audience, many of, of which will be attending the shows at High Point Theater of the Marriage of Figaro in March. And so there's some ideas of other things that you can do while you're in High Point uh, for the shows. All right, before we close out, um, whether people are interested in learning more of the story or donating or volunteering, where are some of the places that, that people should should go to on the web and, and social? Yeah, so our website's the first place I send people, um, whether you are wanting to donate or whether you need help. Um, our website will is there for both of those people. So uh, www.opendoorministrieshp.org. So opendoorministrieshp uh, for highpoint.org. Uh, we recommend you go on there. Uh, then there's links on there to both of our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram. Um, those are updated daily, sometimes multiple times a day. Um, and then send us your email on, uh, on our website. We've got an email link. We send a newsletter out every month. Okay. Well, Ryan Ross, Executive Director of Open Door Ministries of High Point, and Ivan Huffman, the Director of Advancement. Thank you both so much for sharing the stories and for your partnership and for being here on the program. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you. And thanks, Beamon Opera, for welcoming us in. We appreciate it. Thank you.